Welcome to the teacher and the preacher. This program is all about the importance of coming to understand that the Christian community and the Jewish community have more in common than we have been led to believe. Rather than seeing each other as against each other, we need to come to a point of seeing that the statement that our country is a Judeo-Christian nation is much more than just a mere statement, but truly reflects the reality of our nation as it was and should remain. Every week there will be an interesting dialogue about the issues that have divided Jews and Christians and how we can move in bridging the gaps and see that by talking about the issues, we can better move in the direction of having more unity. Unity that will heal and help bring together a nation that is under attack by the forces of atheism, secularism, and a breakdown of family values. Join us now for a discussion between the teacher and the preacher. Welcome to The Teacher and the Preacher, and thank you for joining us this weekend. I'm the preacher, Dave McGuera. And I'm the teacher, Harold Berman. And we have a wonderful guest joining us this week, someone who's been a bit of a regular, actually, on our show because he's an amazing commentator on the Middle East and security issues in the Middle East and, and really around the world, and that's Elliot Chodoff. So for those of you who haven't had the privilege of hearing Elliot before, I'll tell you a little bit about him, and then we'll kick the show off. Elliot Chodoff is a political and military analyst specializing in the Middle East conflict and the global war on terrorism. He has presented and published papers on a range of subjects concerning security, military strategy in the Middle East, and his writings on combat motivation and effectiveness in infantry units have been on the recommended reading list at the U.S. Army War College. His articles have appeared in the Washington Times, National Post of Canada, In the National Interest, Front Page Magazine, and numerous web journals. Elliot is the founder and senior editor of Mideast on Target, an e-journal and newsletter. Elliot is a lecturer at the University of Haifa. He is also a major in the Israel Defense Force Reserves and is a graduate of the Home Front Command Senior Commanders course. So welcome back, Elliot. Thank you. It's great to be with you guys again. Great to have you on board. I love that you're so willing to, to be a, a part of the teacher and the preacher. It's a blessing to our listeners. Yeah. It's, it's always my pleasure. So, Elliot, you know, uh, I'm sure you're familiar with this quote. Uh, David Ben-Gurion, Israel's uh, first prime minister, famously said, to be a realist in Israel, you have to believe in miracles. So I personally see what's happening now as sort of this juxtaposition of the miraculous and the real. We, we have this situation where... 20 years ago, it would have been unthinkable. The United Arab Emirates, uh, they're like our best friends now. We have Bahrain, uh, El Al is starting flights to Morocco. The Saudis are letting us use their airspace and couldn't even imagine this uh, not so long ago. And then there's the real of, well, yeah, there's Iran. So right. I, think what we, I think what we wanted to get at is the show, but, but it's not just Iran. There, there's, there's more going on here. So, so maybe what we want to get out of the show is how much Iran's a factor, and then talk about some of the other factors that are going on here and and what makes this time in history for Israel and really the world so special. Well, first of all, Iran at the moment is the primary factor. It's not the only one. Turkey, of course, is a secondary but important factor. Russia and China are, are in on the mix. The David Ben-Gurion quote has been um, mixed and, and, and shifted many times. I, I often say we're a country that doesn't believe in miracles. We are a miracle. Um, <laughs> True. You know, so, so th there's an element of that. But also, given that this is the Middle East, 
it doesn't fully follow Western paradigms. And I think that one of the things we need to understand before, before we get into the bad guys, because there's plenty of them, uh, one of the paradigms and, and famously or infamously hammered by John Kerry was that there cannot be peace with anyone anywhere in the Middle East until the Palestinian problem is solved. Now, of course, Kerry ignored Sadat coming to Jerusalem. He ignored Hussein's <laughs> peace with Israel in, uh, in the 90s. And he ignored very, very quiet relations that we've had with a lot of countries, including the Emirates, Morocco, and even the Saudis, all, all through the years. But the, the accords themselves, for a bunch of reasons, uh, shattered the paradigm. And that paradigm might have been true 30 or 40 years ago, uh, but I think a lot of the Arab world, in part, is just fed up with it. And it's like, we've backed you this long if you guys, meaning the Palestinians, don't want to take advantage of it for whatever reasons. Uh, you know, we're going to go on with our business. So that's one, one element that needs to be kept in mind. While all of that is going on, we have, as I said before, primarily Iran. Now, I want to tell you that, that the Western and in particular American view on the Iran issue in the Middle East is that the Iranians are Shiites, which is true, the leadership is Shiite and a good part of the population. And the conflict is between the Shiites and the Sunnis, which are the Emirates, the Saudis, uh, etc. And while it's true that there's a Shiite-Sunni conflict, that's not the core of what's going on here. Isn't Bahrain Shiite and they made peace with Israel? Right. So Bahrain has a large, look, the, Saudi Arabia has a large Shiite population. The Emirates have a Shiite population. But part of what's going on here on this side of the region is Persian incursion, meaning the Iranians, into the Arab world. And I, I want to emphasize this point. The Iranians are not Arabs. Right. And the fact that they're not Arabs is lost on many of the American commentators. Because when the Arab world looks at, at the Iranians, it says, wait a minute, these guys are outsiders. By the way, they say the same thing about the Turks. The Turks are also not Arabs. And the Iranian, as I said, incursion uh, aspiration to control the region is an outsider moving in. And, and just, just to, to clarify that point, when Iraq and Syria or Syria and Jordan have a conflict, that's a conflict between Arab countries. When Turkey moves against Syria, that's an outsider moving in. And I, I can't overemphasize the importance of the Arab world looking at the Turks and the Iranians as outsiders. So that's number one. Number two, the Iranian moves into the Middle East are based on a number of different called political, ideological, and identity drives. One is that they really, they want to reestablish the Persian Empire. Uh, and for those who are not familiar with the Persian Empire, open the book of Esther and read the first two, two verses, and you'll see what we're talking about essentially from India to Ethiopia. 
The Persian Empire in its day was the world empire. They also want to extend Shiite control. There's no question about that. Not necessarily overwhelming the Sunnis, but certainly taking control of key strategic areas, and that includes the Gulf. So it's the Emirates, it's Saudi Arabia. It includes Yemen. And people very often ask, you know, Yemen, who cares about Yemen? Look at a map. The southwest corner of Yemen is the entrance to the Red Sea. If you control the entrance to the Red Sea, you neutralize the Suez Canal. So essentially, there's a lot more to this. But the, the countries like the Emirates and others are looking at all of this and saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. We've been preaching against the Israelis for decades, but they're not really the problem. They don't, they don't want to kill us. The people who really want to take over from us and, and wipe us out are the Iranians. And the Israelis are a natural ally, uh, as opposed to the Americans, who are a, an opportunistic ally. The, the Israelis aren't going anywhere, and the Israeli-Iranian conflict is not going anywhere as long as one of them is still go is still around. So that's a good deal of the background to this this sort of new friendship. Right. Now, for sure, this is all true, and Iran is the issue. But when you look at the, the United Arab Emirates in particular, and some of the other countries as well, but particularly the Emirates, it seems to have gone beyond this. In other words, yes, there is, you know, there is communication, military cooperation, uh, all of those things. But the embrace that's happened, uh, it, it's its not just a like a military alliance kind of embrace. It's the amount of business now that is being consummated yes. between Israel. It, it's a literally a full embrace. Yes, I think I think there's another aspect that is being lost in the West. And this is true in Saudi Arabia, as well as in the Emirates, uh, less so in the countries that had massive, call it turmoil um, in what was what we used to call the Arab Spring, and we now call the Islamic Winter. These are countries that are going into their second, in the case of Saudi Arabia, second and third, in the case of some of the other uh, Gulf states, generation of leadership. In other words, the old guard that was very, very old, hardline, narrow conservative is giving way to a new, younger, more cosmopolitan, more worldly leadership than ever before. Uh, I'm going to use the Saudis as an example because I think that they're just the, the easiest and the clearest. All the kings of Saudi Arabia were brothers. The new crown prince, with all of his warts, and he's got plenty of them, is the next generation. And the next generation, and I, this, this, is, this is not an endorsement of any particular individual, but the next generation wants to rule more than a family-owned operation that's called a country. And that's true in the Emirates as well. You can see in terms of just in general, about their over their overall business connections, their development. They really want to be a 21st century country. Now, they're not there yet. None of them are. But they're moving in that direction. And Israel is seen as, for, 
for a whole bunch of different reasons, not related to the Iranian conflict, as a means of doing it. Israel is a small country that is a startup dream on steroids. It has great business connections around the world, and these guys want to be part of it. So I think I think it, it's an all of the above. It, it's a win-win-win kind of a situation as opposed to a, well, let, let's weigh this versus that. Right. Yeah, well, you know, anybody who's got any kind of um, knowledge of modern Middle East history, they see this immense change going on in the in the region. And one of the things that I think was a good illustration of what's actually happening uh, that really throws the John Kerry's of the world under the bus and, and helps them to see how to, out of touch that they really are, is that um, even during the recent conflict that Israel had with Gaza, the UAE sent a message in support of Israel defending herself. I mean, this was big. This is a whole new deal. This is a different day. And it appears, it appears that this is, is not only, you know, something that is represented by two nations, uh, um, you know, signing a paper, but I mean, it's the real deal. I mean, there is open air space now. There is businesses who are exchanging, you know, the economic impact. I mean, there, there is such a huge plus on this thing in so many ways where a skeptical world, and I think they were skeptical simply, uh, obviously, because of history, but I think that what added to their skepticism is that, you know, Donald Trump was a part of the workings of this whole thing. And I think that that added a level of skepticism. You know, if it would have been Obama, which it would have never happened, you know, the, right. the media would have been all over the top of that thing, affirming it and, you know, <laughs> applauding it. But, but I think that the level of skepticism that has been a part of this from outsiders looking in, I think that they're, they're blown away by this. I, th- I think it's a pretty incredible thing. And then to make their military bases available to Israel, should Israel need them, in they, they want relationship. They want Israel to leverage its power to uh, keep Iran at bay. Yes, and I, I think that, Dave, first of all, I totally agree with you that Trump being part of it certainly led to it being downgraded in American media and public opinion. Trump was also critical in that he was, he didn't follow the paradigms. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't want to get into whether, you know, he did it well all the time or poorly all the time. But in this case, people got locked into this this myth. And the Trump administration said, you know, Let's see if the myth is false. And it turned out to be false. I think that part of what we're seeing is the coming around by these countries from a pure rhetoric of anti-Israel that was based on nothing. You know, the Jews are our enemies. The Zionists are enemies. The Zionists are looking to conquer the world. And, and as we all know, you know, if, after seven decades of rampant expansion, we're now barely the size of New Jersey. We're really not very good at this. Um, and and they've, they finally allowed reality to sort of overcome the mythology. 
And once the reality kicks in, all the things we were talking about happen almost automatically. Because, you know, it's like the minute you, you, you wake up from, from some fantasy, here's reality, Let, let's, let's start doing what reality dictates. Uh, and I think that's what, that's what we're seeing. I want to add another point to this, and, it, and it's, it's very important. Um, I alluded to part of it before in that they, were, that they see Israel as a kind of permanent ally, friend, uh, supporter. It pains me to say this. America right now is, and it's not the only time in American history, it's, it's unfortunately been a recurring theme, America is not seen as a very reliable ally supporter. Afghanistan being the most immediate recent example of it. And uh, America pulling out of countries like Saudi Arabia, reducing its forces in, in other places around the Middle East. Countries like the Saudis and the Emirates look and say, hey, the Americans come and go. Israel is here for as long as there's an Israel. Mm -hmm. And among your friends and allies, you want to see stability. America has never provided that kind of stability in its history in, in, in this region. So let's talk about the Saudis for, for a minute, because it's, it's a bit of a different um, uh, situation, I guess, and, and maybe a bit more complex. Uh, the Emirates, you know, there's the Iran issue, and then there's all that we talked about, the, the full embrace, and uh, they want to modernize. Saudi Arabia has that uh, wanting to modernize, uh, too, and there's all the back-channel communications between the Saudis and Israel and opening up their airspace and a lot of things that are unprecedented, but they're unwilling to, like, like the Emirates or Bahrain, or Morocco, they're, they're unwilling to come out uh, in that same way. They, they seem to want it to just stay behind the scenes. I wonder, is that partially tied into, well, Trump's no longer president, so they're just what you just alluded to, that uh, maybe they don't see America as uh, being reliably there for them if they make this leap, or are there other factors? No, I think the primary factor is that Saudi Arabia is in a leadership flux at the moment. The old guard is fading out and it's, it's I mean, almost gone. But the new guard is the crown prince, but a whole bunch of his cousins. And that fight has not been fully worked out yet. So I don't think that he wants to jump too far forward. I think he'd like to. But I think he's afraid, and and legitimately, he's he's looking at a lot of opposition at home. The Saudis typically have been very very conservative in general. They're the custodians of of the holy places. They have a lot of relations around the Muslim world, not just the Arab world. And I'm not surprised that that, that they're taking a much more conservative approach, at least in public. Uh, they've opened the air, their airspace, they closed the airspace, uh, they open it conditionally, they close it conditionally. I'm not impressed by any of that. They're, they're in, in a much, much more dynamic leadership situation than, say, the Emirates are, where the top guy says, this is the way it's going to be, and everybody says, yes, boss, and, mm -hmm. and they follow. Um, 
let's keep in mind that in traditionally in the Arab world, going back to King Abdallah of Jordan and of course Anwar Sadat of Egypt, anybody who who cuts a deal with Israel is in the gun sights of the radicals automatically. And that's another consideration that we, we need to keep in mind. This this is not American politics. This is Middle Eastern politics. And as Yasser Arafat famously said, democracy comes out of the barrel of an AK-47. Hmm. So we need to keep that in mind as well. Yeah, I think so. You know, uh, it's very interesting because the influence of the Emirates and even watching, you know, Saudi, I, I, I think you did a great job of kind of helping our listeners understand some of the tug of war that's going on within the framework of Saudi Arabia itself. I think the king, the king is saying, "Look, I can't throw the Palestinian people under under the bus at this point. Wait till I die, and then you know move forward in a more aggressive way with Israel." But right now, you know, you got to hold the line, kind of that kind of thing. I think you 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 put a good finger mm -hmm. on that. But you know, uh, following the signing of the accords, you know, both Sudan and Morocco also wanted to normalize their relationships with Israel. And it happened, you know, with, within weeks of each other. And, you know, I think it's it's created the speculation that more countries will follow suit as they see these Middle Eastern politics, what was highly unlikely, actually coming to fruition, and, and more will, will start to, I think, warm up. I think, if I remember right, that... Um, there is a commitment by uh, the UAE and, and Bahrain uh, to put their embassies in Israel and, um, and make sure that they're following through with the presence. They're, they're going to contribute heavily to a shipping port. I mean, economically, mm -hmm. at, at every level, it just seems like there is, hey, we, we are going to seize hold of this opportunity. Let's maximize on it while we can. And, and all of those kinds of things. It is a whole new day, and it's almost, well, we started off the program talking about it, naming it for what it is, is an absolute miracle. Mm -hmm. And I love that. Uh, this is the reason for it. If you can't get miracles in the Middle East, you can't get miracles anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that right? Well, I'll tell you this, Elliot. The, um, the, I think the value to Israel, especially right now, is with... Iran continuing to flex its muscles and basically bow, bow its neck and say, we're, we're going through with becoming nuclear capable. There is uh, this added support that I think helps Israel feel like, hey, at least for the time being, we've got some, some partnership here and let's, let's maximize on it if, if we absolutely have to because Iran's made it pretty clear, look, we, we, we don't like you. Meaning, uh, <laughs> you, you other Muslims, uh, we don't like you, and uh, it won't bother us to take you out. So I don't know where things are uh, right now in regards to Iran's nuclear capability. I, I think I heard it was down to weeks as opposed to months, but then there was a little incident I think that maybe created a setback. But we've only got a couple they, minutes. They really left. need to be. They, they really need to be more careful about smoking in those no-smoking areas. <laughs> yeah, isn't that right? Well, we've only got a couple of minutes left. Why don't you, why don't you take a, a moment and, and speak to that, even though it's difficult to cram it into a couple of minutes? Okay, well, I, 
you know what I, I think maybe for another show but the the key element here that I think needs to be kept in mind is that the Iranian position on Israel that goes back to Khomeini before he came to power is that the Jews need to be annihilated in Khomeini's major work that was the, the core of his, his political theology, a book called Islamic Government, paragraph two, page one, begins with the words, the Jews have always been the enemies of Islam. And I think, just, just by comparison, by the way, it took Hitler like 27 pages to get to the Jews in Mein Kampf. It took Khomeini one paragraph. Mm. I, you can't overestimate the utter genocidal exterminationist hatred of Jews that is part of the Iranian leadership. And once you understand that, everything else falls into place really quickly. I like that. That's the way you put it. Um, so do we have time for one quick question, Dave? Yeah, you've you got about a minute. Okay, so very quickly, you know, standing on one foot, Elliot, um, you know, you look at Egypt and Jordan, and they have more or less uh, longstanding peace agreements with Israel, but they're very different kinds of agreements than what we're seeing at the Emirates. And, you know, I remember Thomas Friedman uh, once saying, you know, he went to Cairo as a student in the 70s, and the, sky, the skyline of Cairo looks pretty much the same today. Um, that's not true of the Emirates. I, do you think, obviously, they have very different considerations, uh, but are Egypt and Jordan looking at these new partnerships, and is that getting to rethink their own partnerships in any way? Uh, no, I don't believe so. I, I, think that, I think that one of the mistakes we make is lumping the Arab world into a, into a single basket mm. and acting as if Morocco, Libya, Egypt, Jordan, Emirates... Syria and Iraq, I'm just rattling off a bunch of names, are all the same because they're all Arabs. Right, it's right. kind of like saying that the French, the Belgians, <laughs> the Germans, the Poles, and the Italians and the Spanish are all the same because they're Europeans. Yeah. Hey, we've been talking this weekend with our dear friend Elliot Chadoff. Elliot, uh, let people know how they can contact you if they'd like to uh, touch base with you. Um, Best way is by email. My name, Elliot, two L's, one T, dot, C-H-O-D-O-F-F, at gmail.com. Been a pleasure to have you with us again, Elliot. Always a pleasure to be with yeah. you guys. And, and my friends, uh, until next week, may the God of Israel, who never slumbers or sleeps, may he watch over Israel and our Jewish friends, and may God bless America. Amen. Amen. The Teacher and the Preacher will be back next Sunday for another discussion on how Christians and Jews can come to once again proclaim that the United States is truly a Judeo-Christian nation. To contact the Teacher and the Preacher, email them at theteacherandthepreacher at gmail.com. That's theteacherandthepreacher at gmail.com. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and give you shalom.